Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Social Vision. In today's episode, we discuss part three of the Communist Manifesto in the time of class struggle. This is a 90-minute discussion. We invite you to call in at 347-857-1319. All right, we're back on a Monday. We're back here on a sunny, sunny day back. <laughs> Warm. Long day, brother. Long day today. Long day. Long weekend. <laughs> Yeah. So have you have you caught up from last week yet, man? We went, no. we went all the way to the uh Mojave Desert, huh? Yeah, that's right. Got <laughs> all the way to Mojave Desert. Jesus. I, yeah. caught, I don't think I caught I don't think I recouped yet, man. I you know, a lot of driving. God, damn. But, uh, yeah. I'm glad we were able to go up there and talk to some folks. So I know, that was great. Yeah, it was great to see that kind of that part of California. But anyway, I don't want to bore our, our listeners to that because that's something that was going on with us. But yeah, so we're back with um, part part three and and our last uh, part on discussion of the Communist Manifesto. And those of you who have not uh, heard the other two uh, shows, you might want to go back and look at uh, check those out. And basically, what we've done is is go over the. Um, you know, there's about uh, three, I think, three chapters of the pamphlet, three sections of the pamphlet, and we've gone over uh, the main, the, mainly the, the first two. And the last two is really a little bit dated, but uh, we're going to discuss that today. And then also, if we have time to get into some of these uh, current issues. But but I want to remind people that the reason why that we we chose to talk about the Counter Manifesto is, is really, to me, it's, it's about the working class, or what Marx called the proletariat class, has, to me, or to us, has, has lost a sense of itself. And, and, and that's, that's because of the strength of capitalism and what capitalism has done to divide the working class and divide people in this country, um, the, the undermining of, of, of unions in this country, the, even the undermining of the left movement, uh, by and large, and the fact that the that the working class and the proletariat is not conscious of itself as workings and being exploited by capitalism, um, that's the reason why we as a people, you know, the masses of people don't really not exercising our rights, not getting what we deserve. And you won't get it until you begin to, to recognize yourself as a as a class that is pretty much way different from the bourgeois class, the land-owning class, the wealthy class. I mean, there's just just a wide, huge gap between those two classes. And the the idea is that people try to convince, you know, um, the the Democrats and their neoliberalism, as well as conservatives and their fascism and all that, they try to convince people that the working class and the and the bourgeois ruling class that the the interests are one and the same and and they're not and so if you read the Communist Manifesto, it will give you an understanding that it's a class of work that you will find um, and you will see what we talked about in the show 
that uh, a lot of what we're talking about back in the 1800s, 1850s or so, um, is still with us today. You know, That's so right. this is not a this is not a, a outdated book. Seriously, uh, and so the last couple of shows we've been talking about the, the bourgeois class and the proletariat class. And this this one we're going to focus on what he talks about in terms of property. We talked about property some too in the last show as well. And we're going to do that, and also this misunderstood um, analysis that Marx had and Engels had about the family. The, and he's really talking about the bourgeois family, and the bourgeois concept of family. That's really what he's talking about. He's not against uh, the, the the notion of family. I mean, he was the man was married his entire life. He had several kids. So he's not against family. And I've heard that criticism before, and that's not uh, true. So we're going to unpack that as well. And, Carl, you had some you had some books that you might want to keep out. I'm going to put the books that he and Carl's going to tell you about in the show notes. Right. Uh, well, the first one is uh, I want people to um, uh, to have an understanding of the, the book on Communist Manifesto by Harold J. Lansky the title of the book on the communist manifesto he does a really revolutionary perspective on the communist manifesto both its history the analysis and how it's been misinterpreted uh, throughout history um in terms of just pointing you know uh, uh, what's really in the communist manifesto so i strongly recommend people to read that um in terms of uh, understanding what we call uh so-called Marxists of today. Um, there's a book by uh, Gordon Thurburn. Uh, uh, I know most people have seen some of his books on uh, the theory of, of language um, and communication, um, and it's, typed, it's generally very deep and difficult to read. Uh, but uh, one one book is it's only uh, the book is probably, what is it, it's only about 166 pages. It's from Marxism to, to post-Marxism. He doesn't critique any of them, he just lays them out, who all these different characters are, um, of different post-Marxist, neo-Marxist, non-Marxist, left, post-socialism uh, folks. So, you know, he does a really good job of just, you know, laying out who they are and, you know, what are some of the things that uh, uh, that they're articulating. And I see you have another book uh, you want to suggest by Terry Ingleton. Why Marx Was Right. Really, really fascinating. Really, really um, gr- uh, 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 great book to, uh, to read um, that we um, strongly suggest people to, uh, to, read, uh, to read. And for those of you who are, you know, really new to Marxism and just want to you just want to sample all his stuff. Um, uh, it's a book about 179 pages. Um, this is, uh, to, it's not entirely a beginner's guide, but it's enough of a beginner's guide to get, to sample all of Mark's stuff. It's How to Read Marx, Karl Marx by Ernest Fischer. So um, that's, that's one book that I, I also would suggest for people to read. Did I lose you? 
while he's getting ready to come back. Um, there's a couple of things in Mark's um, uh, piece, uh, particularly in the Comics Manifesto, as it relates to the family, that we strongly um, suggest um, folks to really take a look at in, in terms of just a, an analysis. But um, be, but before we get into that, I think there's a couple of current events that is, actually has taken place. One... Wait, hold on, hold on, Carl. So I'm sorry, I was I was on mute. I'm back. Okay. I just want to say, I just want, I just want to pick up just a couple of things before we get to that point. Okay. I just want to say on on the on the why Marx was right um, by Terry Ingleton. The, he what he does in that book is is he answers a lot of the criticism of Marx and Marxism, and that's what he's doing. And he's a very lucid writer because he basically has a he was an English literature background, I believe, uh, a writer, and so it's just a very lucid. Uh, a book to read uh, from there, and, and I, I uh, put it on my uh, on the Twitter, our Socialist uh, Visions, Socialist Forty Five uh, Twitter feed. Uh, it pops up every once in a while on there, so so I would definitely uh, um, uh, check that out. And the second thing I wanted to say is there are a lot of people who 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 have a, a criticism of Marx, on Marxism, or socialism, and and I have no problem with people having a criticism of Marx, Marxism, and socialism, and all that. Not a problem with that, but I really, I really respect more somebody who's actually read uh, what, what Marx has said himself, who has done some study, and also who have you know done some study about capitalism. I'm not and socialism. I'm not saying that I know everything. I don't pretend to know everything, but I, I, I know sometimes every once in a while I get on Twitter, a couple of people who, you know, I will have a, I will have a constructive back and forth. Dialogue with them, but when it gets to the point where they start seeing silly stuff that just just don't make any sense, you know, it's like somebody wrote me this weekend about how capitalism is it must be good because there's a lot of fat people in this country. I mean, that, that's just a stupid analysis. I mean, if, if that if that's the best argument you can come with for why capitalism is is, is good, I mean, I, I'm I'm just going to stop following you. I'm I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to cut you off. I mean, because you're wasting my time. And it's not because I think that I know something better than you or whatever. I'm just saying you're not coming with any, any I think, constructive arguments. And, and I really want to hear those constructive arguments. I really want to be taken to task. And there are some, some serious questions about socialism and Marxism that you can take us on, uh, that you can challenge us on. But, you know, to say that, uh, you know, Marx didn't know what the fuck he was talking about, please. I mean, that... that if that's your point, that's your starting argument. That tells me that you don't know anything. You haven't read anything about by Marx. You just listen to propaganda, and that's not going to do it. You know, you can say, "Well, Bakara, you're just listening to Marx propaganda, and social propaganda." No, because I, I read this stuff. I've read it, and and I will continue to. I, I'm not saying that I haven't been influenced by things that other people have said, but I have actually read Marx, have read Lenin, you know, and and want to do more of that if I had time. And I've read about socialism, so and been putting a lot of thought into it. So I don't, I don't try to just base, just I just don't try to pair it with somebody told me, but I really try to think about uh, these things in a very constructive way and try to respond to people um, uh, and, and that that have disagreements in a very constructive way. I try to really respect their disagreements or their questions um, and not just you know shoot them off. But but if you come at me really with stupid stuff, then I'm just gonna. I'm just going to block you on Twitter because I don't I don't really have time to do that. My time is real precious, like I, like I would say to everybody else's. 
is precious, and I don't have time for play. But anyway, go ahead, Carl. I was just going to have to put that out there. Oh, no, no. No, I just uh, – uh, I, and I agree. I I think if you want to have a serious uh, political engagement about Marx um, and Marxism and socialism, uh, we welcome that. Um, but if it's just a uh, cursed, uh, curt, um, and dismissive and not really logical uh, the debate and discussion, you know, we really don't have time uh, for that. But if you're grappling with the issue – of socialism, if you're grappling with the issue of Marxism, if you're grappling with the issue of the Communist Manifesto and the contradictions that it poses for you and the problems it poses for you, then we welcome that. We we welcome that serious engagement and discussion because we're not saying that we have all the answers. Uh, we're not saying that we know all, uh, understand fully. Uh, remember, uh, Marx has always said that Scientific socialism is simply a guide to practice. Um, it is not a, a canon. It, it is not something that, you know, the word that is that is written that is uh, uh, permanent and holy for all time. What is powerful about the Communist Manifesto is that it was written in 1848, but goddamn, it seemed like 2018. So it it, oh, no. it writes it, like he was just he, he just sat down. Right now, and said, so "I got to write this Communist Manifesto," and he's talking about globalization. He's talking about the the level of exploitation. He's talking about how the 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 decline the, the and the shrinkage of the middle class. He's talking about how everyone is being proletized from around the world. He speaks of a of a of of analysis of sharp and critical analysis that is so. It resonates so well today that calls it uh, uh, into question, which Jody Dean described as a a stirring or a striving for a a communist perspective and a and, and a direction as to how do we get out of this chaos? How do we get out of this this uh, barbaric and, and exploitive system? And what he does is he, in the in the Communist Manifesto is he contrasts as well as he articulate the difference between the two and where we stand in relationship to the to to what is what what is happening before our eyes and much of what is happening is it, it, not exactly that way but as much of the trend that is happening is occurring today and the the the, the mass monopolization concentration of wealth the 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 standing two standing armies on one end of the, which is the proletariat and the bourgeoisie and very few people in the middle. It is it, it, it becomes a stark contrast to the reality of today and how there is so much smoke screen and it's fog and smog in the midst that it makes it difficult for people to understand as well as to see what is happening right before our eyes. And for those of you who are in America and live, living under 45, we are seeing a lot of this being played out in a way that is fundamentally different to our history. In our past, the American history has always been that the bourgeoisie, when they got into power beginning in the 1850s, um, was that we don't run things. We just find some lackey to do our dirty work, and they will do the work on our behalf. 
Every now and then we will send in our representative to be the good guy, whether Theodore Roosevelt or Del, you know, Franklin Roosevelt or the Kennedys, who will come off as the liberals and the good guys. But at the end of the day, we're going to have we're basically going to get some uh, lackey to be the executive of the state because we don't have time for that. Well, what we are witnessing right before our very eyes is that the bourgeoisie says, you know, all these lackeys just ain't up for the task. They can't do what we expect them to do to the degree that we want them to do. So we're not going to hide it. We're not going to hide behind some lackey. We're going to step out in front. We're going to be in your face, and we're going to tell it like it is, and we dare you. We dare you to say something differently. We will, we will either lock you up, sending you to Guantanamo Bay. We will disrupt your life. We will do, you know, we will send drones. We will do whatever it takes to take you out to get what we need to get done. And so, it's, 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 so in many ways, that is the story that was told uh, or, or, or unfolded in the sense of that the Compass Manifesto was was presenting in 1848. You're right, and 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 that, that's so well stated because too is, and we're going to come back to the to the current issues a little bit, but just to kind of point out about, you know, if you look at what they tried to do in this last, uh, you know, to to get rid of uh, the Affordable Care Act and the kind of things that are going to take away from that, that that really is an attack on people, and and right. and they have to do this. They have to do this in order to maintain their power. And like you said, now that they are putting themselves into uh, 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 directly within the political power now, because either they feel threatened by the changes that are occurring, or they are just so freaking arrogant and greedy that they feel like they don't still even have enough. So, I mean, all the people in, in, in 45's uh, cabinet, these are very rich people. They have right. more than enough. But yet, Yet they they spend their money, they're using their time to go into a political process, into a political arena, um, in which they really are not needed there. I mean, quite frankly, the Democratic Party would pretty much do pretty much whatever they <laughs> what the Democratic Party does the bidding of the bourgeois class. The Republican Party does the bidding of the bourgeois class. So it's like, but they're like, no, that's not enough. Now, like Carl said, that's not enough. We need to be in there and control it, and make sure that we that, that we don't lose grip of it. But but let's get back to the to the pamphlet, Comedy Manifesto, because one of the things we talked about last week, and we're going to go into the to the third chapter. Uh, oh but well, well, the, well, the, well, just uh, I, I just want to let everyone know is tomorrow, April fourth, uh, nineteen sixty eight, oh. Martin Luther King was assassinated mm-hmm. um, uh, on that day, and. One of the interesting things about that day, um, when he was assassinated, it, uh, 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 he it, it it was a pivoting point for him in a sense that he came down there for two reasons. One, um, before that, in 1968, uh, really uh, in 1967, um, Martin Luther King was principally speaking on the issue of civil rights, um, the right to vote, the, uh, 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 you know, uh, the, the right to, um, uh, to be human, not to be discriminated. What he changed in 1967 on two, on two levels. One, he changed uh, 
to say this is no longer simply a uh, civil right issue when um, and the struggle to, uh, uh, of simply for civil rights, but this is a human right, and there's a lot of poor people who are who who are not getting. Uh, even though you eliminate discrimination, there are masses of poor people who are not getting um, housing, proper house, you know, decent housing, uh, education, uh, food, a place to live, jobs. There is masses number of poor people, just what we're seeing in our midst today. And he basically said, we come to challenge America because you can spend billions of dollars to fight a war in Vietnam for their freedom and to provide them opportunities, but you cannot do that here at home. And he challenged and pointed out the contradiction, because up until then, civil rights leader, if, the, if in our classic case would be today, like Al Sharpton type, would be only told to speak on that issue. Just speak only on, you know, civil rights. Don't speak about, you know, what's going on over in Syria or, you know, Iraq. Don't speak on those issues. Just speak on this. Well, Martin Luther King began to speak on that, and when he gave the the famous speech at the Riverside Church, where he basically said the greatest purveyor of violence was America itself. That shook the system to the core. The second piece, what he did, was up until then, um, he uh, had more of a multi-class coalition approach, in the sense that you know, we need the middle class, we need the, the wealthy as well as the poor all united together in coalition, and I can't antagonize the wealthy who are going to support our movement against, you know, uh, Jim Crow uh, uh, in the South and discrimination uh, uh, and racism in the North. He basically shifted his position when he, when he realigned around the question of poverty when he said we need to support the, the uh, folks in their struggle for the rights to unionize and the right to have a, a, a decent pay. And that's the reason why the, the folks in Memphis was on a strike in uh, uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Um, sanitation workers were on strike. Now, it was not a simple strike in the sense that up until there was simply a you know worker strike. Uh, most, strikes, most strikes are generally workers against the bosses. This was a class race strike in the sense that all the expression of race is connected to the question of union organizing and asking for a higher pay. This is the first time where Memphis union workers were the most was at the time the most organized and they were not only fighting for the right for better pay and working conditions, but also the right to be treated as a human being. That's that marshal and rose up a lot of folks in the street to the point where young people was frustrated, and they, you know, started breaking uh, windows and setting fires to stuff because of the frustration. Martin Luther King came down to support that, and everyone said, do not support the strike. Do not support labor, this this sector of labor. You can st- support the labor aristocracy, but not the lower sector. Uh, and he came and, and, and gave a speech um, where, he, you know, he basically says, um, uh, you know, I've seen the mountaintop. I may not get there with you, but I will be with you in spirit, um, and, and we will all get there one day. And when he was talking about the mountaintop, he was talking about another society, another world, uh, and, and to, to a degree, in many ways, a uh, democratic socialist vision where people uh, had, had uh, 
you know, uh, control of their labor, had uh, free education, you know, uh, housing and those kinds of things. So he was assassinated at the time when he was becoming a much bigger and different kind of leader. So we want to acknowledge um, the passing of, uh, of one of the greatest uh, uh, leader of action um, in American history, um, um, and that took place, uh, and it really changed the black freedom movement in the in the United States dramatically. It was the surge of the Black Panther Party right after his death. Um, a lot of uh, uh, revolutionary action movement, a lot of groups came out of it, uh, that. There was also the shift in the Democratic Party. There was also the shift of the rise of the new communist movement. It was a complete shift in the, in the in movement uh, immediately after uh, his death. So we want to acknowledge um, and pay homage to um, someone that we that, that we dearly miss. Yeah, and, and, and it's not surprising that he was also labeled a communist, <laughs> and particularly in his early years. See, that's just, that's just how much they are afraid of any kind of consciousness, see. And, and that's what I want and, and thank you for that analysis, Carl, and that breaking that down. Because that, that pivots back to, again, in, in the pamphlet, you know, when he talks about the proletariat class and property, I would really want you to go, people to go in and check that out because I know that's, that's a seriously uh, misunderstood uh, analysis that, you know, we talked about that he's not talking about taking your, 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 uh, your iPhone or your, or your home and all that. He's not, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about, you know, resource, the, 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 uh, uh, the natural resources are, are, are now privately owned, um, which means that they've been taken away from people, and these, these resources are privately owned. They're packaged and resold and, and sold back to the people um, at the same time that the notion of property ownership means that certain people are not going to have the things they need in order to survive. Um, and so he says here that the proletarian is without property. That means that most people in this country, we don't own any, we don't own any property. You rent it, you pay mortgage, but we, 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 we you know, we don't, most of the bourgeois free class are in ownership of property. And you spend a huge amount of your, your labor and your income, uh, just just paying for a place to stay. Uh, but anyway, the proletarian is without property. His relations to his wife and children has no longer anything in common with the bourgeois family relations, modern industrial labor, modern subjection to capital. Now, I want to I want to highlight that modern subjection to capital. We've talked about it on the show many times. We are pretty much uh, uh, enslaved to, right, the capitalist market system in this country. We're, we're enslaved to it, right? I mean, just, just think about the fact that if people didn't go out and buy stuff, and I'm talking about people who, are, who even get a welfare check or unemployment check, if they didn't just go out, if people didn't go out and buy stuff, what would happen to the capitalist economy? That's just how much it's dependent upon us being enslaved to it to buy and sell stuff and to constantly produce stuff. So he's saying that we are uh, uh, subjected to, we are slave to capital, right? But he also says on the next page that the proletarian movement is the self-conscious independent movement of the immense majority 
in the interest of the immense majority. The proletariat, the lowest stratum of our society, cannot stir, cannot raise itself up without the whole superincumbent strata, strata of official society being sprung up into air. So basically is that we, the, the bourgeois, I mean the proletariat class, have to see not ourselves above anybody. So in other words, if you are a doctor, you're still part of that working class. If you are a garbage person, you're still a part of the working class. If you cut lines of work at McDonald's, you're still a part of that working class. If you work in the service sector, you're part of, part of the working class. So we have to see ourselves as one, and we, we talked about that last week in terms of that's one of the things that uh, the Occupy movement did a very good job of with the 99% versus the 1%. That really helps people to understand that we're all in this together, but you have a, a ruling, bourgeois ruling class, an oligarchy now that's, that's in place, that, um, that is thoroughly um, ruling over um, our day-to-day relationships, right? And yet we blame each other. Um, we, we look at each other. We, know, we say, well, it's the immigrants that's, that's making it a problem for everybody. Or it's, uh, it's the Muslims that are bringing the problem for everybody. You know, it's always been black people. You know, we've always been accused. Of, of the reason why things are bad the way they are. And, and, and typically, the white working class has this analysis. Um, and, but, but the ones, the, the, the white working class who have been conscious have, have the real ones that have been conscious have, 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 have a history, starting back with the Communist Party, the Social Workers Party, have begun to see, no, we have the same interests. We are exploited by the same uh, class. And so, you know, we want to try to fight against that racism. Um, I want to say, too, before I give it back over to Carl, is as good as the kind of manifesto is, I would say that um, you, you, the books by uh, Kwame Nkrumah uh, gives, gives another analysis, kind of a cultural analysis. I mean, he, he definitely, you know, he definitely learned from Marx, but he's also bringing a a, a, a cultural analysis to uh, the class struggle, as well as to the struggle of imperialism. So you had, uh, Kwame Nkrumah wrote the uh, imperialism, the last, the last stage, oh no, neocolonialism, the last stage of imperialism. So when you read, you know, books by uh, uh, Nkrumah or Franz Manon or other people like that, they bring a cultural analysis to class struggle that Marx and them really didn't get really deep into it. But just want to just want to put that in there because we have to talk about like we said in the, in this in our shows before that their their class, race and gender are intermingled, you know. And I would say I would want to also want to add environment. You seriously have to be you have to put that as a part of the analysis environment as well as the race, class and gender issue. So 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 but yeah, but property is that we don't own property and, 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 and until we get past this notion of, of, of possessing, you know, having the bourgeois class possess natural resources, possessing large masses of property, until we stop that, then we're always going to be oppressed. We're always going to be exploited because we're spending so much of our energy uh, paying to that, to that class. Uh, for property or pro- you know or access to property, 
And and that's how they that's that's one of the ways that they they gain so much wealth. That's not the only way, but that's certainly one of the ways they do it. I mean, you know, I mean, forty five was a realtor, a realtor. That's what he is. Okay, so I mean, there you go. All right, Carl. Yeah, no, and we one of the things that we also have to keep in mind is the Communist Manifesto was written in 1848, um, just bringing a class analysis as part of a political struggle. Remember, Marx wasn't just simply talking about a economic struggle. He said the mission of the proletariat is to seize political power. That is its role. Yeah. That is its function. To and in the process, after seizing political process, it must begin the process of actually withering away the state, and then ultimately withering away the proletariat in of itself. But it's a political mission. It is not simply an economic mission. It is not simply, you know, just to get upset and get mad, but to to do what is necessary to sweep away the old order, the old social order to bring in a new order. But all these people bring up all this, oh, my God, you know, uh, we're going to lose our individuality. And and if if we, you know, if we don't, what Marx says, from the moment when labor can no longer be converted into capital, money and rent into a social power capable of being monopolized, i.e. from the moment from individual property can no longer be transformed into bourgeois property, into capital, from that moment you say individuality vanish. You must therefore confess that by individual you mean no other person than the bourgeoisie. So when we talk about our individual, are we talking about a bourgeois individuality? Who, what individuality mm-hmm. are we talking about? What reference you talk about your, your accidental uh, viewpoint of who you are and what you're all about? He goes on to say, well, what is, what is this thing, this existential thing you describe yourself as your culture of your self-identity? He says, that culture, the loss of which he, he lamented, is for the enormous majority and mere training to act as a machine. But don't waggle with us so long as you, you apply to our attendant abolition of, of bourgeois property. The standard of your bourgeois notion of freedom, culture, laws, and etc. Your very ideas are but the outgrowth of the condition of your bourgeois production and bourgeois property. Just as jurisprudence is but the will of your class made into law for all. A will whose essential character and direction are determined by the economic condition of existence of your class. So when you, when working class people talk about my identity, you're really internalizing bourgeois identity and culture. That's why sometimes when I speak of uh, gangster culture, is nothing more than the flip side of, of, of gangster bourgeoisie. It is gangster bourgeoisie like the, the Trumps and the, and the rest of them and the oligarchy in, in Russia and different places who basically practice this kind of gangsterism in the most highest and most sophisticated form. And that culture becomes internalized as our culture. And so the assumption that if we end private property, we will lose our identity. No, we won't. We will we will be, our identity will be expanded. Our identity will be blossom. Our identity will encompass much more than a bourgeois identity, but a much more uh, people, larger, wholesome identity of who we are as a people and not refracted from the, from the vision uh, of what bourgeois 
uh, identity and culture and lifestyle are to me. Yes, it will be different. Yes, it will not be what people th- think um, uh, bourgeois, uh, you know, where we got to live like uh, – uh, Beyonce or the Kardashians or the Trump, you know, she lives up there in a the gold tower and they got a gold bedroom and a gold place. That's how we live. That you know they live, and so therefore we won't live like that. No, most working class people just want to have a decent housing, a roof over their head. They want to be able to have a decent job. They take care of their family. They this they ain't looking for everything have to be laced in gold. That's bourgeois notion that everything has to be laced in gold. And, and gold is really a bourgeois notion because gold is a, is a property that is identified related to uh, money or to capital. It is, it's, it's their form of culture because if you go back in history, gold had no significance, no value. Would you believe silver, up, coral shells had greater value than gold? But because we live in a capitalist bourgeois society, we begin to we see the world the way they see it because they permeate every aspect of your life from the day you're born to the day you die. It determines where you get buried or where you get born. It determines what schools you get and what schooling you don't get. Every aspect of your life is enculturated, saturated bled through from, but if, whether or not you get a blood, blood transfusion or not, it's determined by a bourgeois and economic uh, uh, private property process. That's sickening. That is the most sickening, deranged, barbarous mm-hmm. type of system to be a part of. And I don't see anything healthy about it. But people, but because we, you, you're like fishes in a sea, you think the water, even though it's polluted, you think that's how it always was, not knowing well, that the water I mean, wasn't I mean, always polluted. I mean, yeah, yeah. And, but I, and I also understand that people don't always we don't always see it, or we always we can't. Take it. Yeah, we can't see we can't see it because yeah, like that. But 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 we're, but when you're surrounded by so many things, like you know, you have you know the iPhone and you have the TV or you have these kind of luxuries. That yes, that that came out of capitalism. I will give you that. Now, that doesn't mean that the workers were not there putting it together, right, and, and putting it up. So there are, there are a, lot of, a lot of things that we call luxuries or advancements that have been made under capitalism. I, I will give you that. I'm, no problem. But, but we don't, what we don't, we don't want to talk about is to what, ex, to what expense do we have those things? And that's, that's the struggle, you see. And this is what Marx was trying to get at, is that it's, it's not – you know that we know that the, the bourgeois the bourgeois class is corrupt. We know that, but we don't we don't see it because a lot of times it's covered up by all the things that we're producing. And we think that if we did not have that that bourgeois capitalist class, that we wouldn't we would cease producing a lot of these things. Well, yeah, I think in certain ways production will go down. It's not necessarily a bad thing because if again if you and if you have a, an economic system that is uh, that is destroying the environment, right, making it very difficult and causing cli- uh, climate change, right, then what's, what's it going to benefit us to have all these things? What's it going to benefit us? What is going to benefit us that we have to spend, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week working in order to have enough money to pay bills? You know, how are we benefiting really – from that, 
And, and I get it that those generations that grew up, and that's all they knew was work. I mean, that's it. I mean, people, they, their whole life was about, like, well, what do you do? You know, like, you, you were defined by what you do. Not, not being a human being, but if you did not have a skill, if you did not have a job, then you really were not, or even still today, you're, you're, not, you're looked at as a non-entity. And this is, this to me, is a dangerous way of looking at ourselves. You know, I, I, I mean, every, every day, think about when you go into your email box. If you spend a lot of time on the Internet or whatever, you go in your email box and you just flood it with getting to people trying to get you to buy stuff. Same thing on television, to buy stuff. And you can't go, you can't leave your house with having to, to engage with the market system. And, and, and while that seems to be like, um, well, yeah, what's wrong with that, Bakari? Well, basically is that we become enslaved to it. And particularly the working class, the proletariat class, because we are the laborers, be, be, we, be, us, be that we work in a, in a factory or that we are a service worker, or even if we contract ourselves out, we still, by and large, have to feed that, that bourgeois capitalist economy. So that's the reason why I, we, we make this notion. I think that we can still produce uh, things that we need, produce beautiful things, and still have an economy that works more on the behalf of everybody so that you don't have the majority of the wealth and income gains going to the, the top 1%. This is, this is insane what we're doing. And that we are theoretically, we are definitely demonstrably uh, destroying uh, the environment. And I mean, seriously, and if people don't get an understanding of that, you need to, to read it because I'm trying to read it and understand it myself. And what I, what I have read so far convinces me that this is what's happening. Um, and we have to be real about that. And then there's also the, 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 the racial and gender divide uh, and exploitation that exists because of, the, of our arrangement with one another. That, that's the reason why it's like that. And we got to get past it. We, we, really, we really do. And we're going to continue to talk about it in, in future shows. I mean, we're not going to go away from this because it's, I think because, you have, because we have these quote-unquote luxuries, we just really think that there's nothing wrong with this economic system. A lot of, us, a lot of people are getting it, though. I mean, a lot of people are getting it and beginning to see the contradictions. They really are. So, um, that's a good thing. Uh, so, Carl, we want to go to the – oh, wait, I want to talk about one more thing. Can you talk about right. the, the, his concept, the bourgeois family? Because that, that comes right, up. Right, right, right. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I mean, I think the notion, too, is, you know, and I, I can't re- remember what uh, – I mean, I know I can't find the highlight that I had. But there's this notion of the bourgeois, the bourgeois family. And, he, and he, what he's doing in that, and again, this is 18 – 1840s, 1850s is writing this and it's coming out. But again, this was about, so remember now that the bourgeois revolution came out of the feudal of, uh, of means of production, the feudal kind of arrangement. And that feudal arrangement, you remember the kings and queens and that nepotism, right? So you had these families that were, were, were rich and they absorbed the wealth. Well, fuck, you, you really have that today. I mean, you have families that are that are systematically taking power. You have the Bushes, you know, their family taking power. You have the uh, the, the Trumps uh, trying to begin to develop their their uh, uh, their power based upon nepotism as well. 
you've had nepotism throughout even this country. And then there's times when you don't, you know, like when we get around that, like, you know, I mean, Obama doesn't necessarily bring his, he doesn't come to the presidency as uh, part of nepotism per se. But, but the, the notion back then is that you have, you had a certain arrangement with that, that uh, family relationship that husbands had to their wives. And wives were seen, and still are, to, to a lot of extent, as property, really, seriously as property. And, and that was the reason why when they, they created a law eventually that, that when a man divorces a woman, that the woman should be able to get a certain amount of that property, right? Because she, she, she is his property. She's not working. Um, she doesn't have. She doesn't own the wealth, right? And so when, when if he leaves her, then she's left with nothing but you know maybe the kids, and even they are considered property to a certain extent. And so he was saying, look, this is a bad kind of arrangement. And and, and then and then even too to the point that if people wanted to get a divorce, some people couldn't get a divorce because they couldn't afford to get a divorce. You know, women couldn't afford to divorce their, their, their husband because he owned every fucking thing. And that still happens even to this day. So he's saying, look, we're going to get rid of the notion of the bourgeois family. He didn't say get rid of the concept of family. He did not right. say that. He, he was a married uh, man himself. He had a family, you know, even though they were very poor, oftentimes poor, um, you know, he was married himself. And, and so the notion that he was against family is just totally wrong. And, and that doesn't mean, too, is that, that we, we see that we've had to rethink our notions about family as well because it has been heavily influenced by the notions of property. It has been influenced by, you know, Christian views about morality and, you know, who you should be able to marry and what you should do before and, and, and during marriage. I mean, all that kind of stuff. So we have to kind of rethink family in and of right. itself, but I always think that biologically, two people who bring who are who are responsible for bringing offspring into the world, bringing children into the world, I do think that we are responsible to those children. I think that we are responsible to our children, and because we bring them into the world, they don't get they don't get a chance to vote on it. They don't get a chance to like say no. So when you bring when we bring children to the world. We are responsible for, to the best of our ability, to uh, raise them and provide for them to fucking ever how long they need us to do it. I, I don't care if they 35 years old and they still need us. That's yeah, because they we're, they're only here because of what we do, and none of us have that opportunity to to say no. I don't want to be here. So 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 we and then we also I think that we as a society are responsible to our children because. Society pushes this idea of reproduction. It, it does push that, and and, uh, and and we do it by nature, but also society reinforces it. So we we have to have a society that really fundamentally takes care of the people who are brought into existence. And if we cannot do that, I think that we're not going to survive. I just don't think we're going to do it. Also. Uh... People have to understand, too, that the notion of uh, marriage has a lot to do with property. But the notion of women relationship to men and, 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 and the notion of family has changed. During a uh, communal uh, property period, this is before classes exist, uh, uh, 
the social order was um, family was everyone took care of men and women um, extended family all took care of everyone's child so there was no child that was uh, that was uh, uh, you know singly uh, you know the husband and wife was singly responsible for the the raising of the child the whole community raised the child you know and we use that analogy today, and it's reflected in the working class that it takes a community to raise a child. But the bourgeois flipped it and turned it um, and, uh, and, and, and took it to a whole new level when private property was introduced to simply say that a child and the wife were all property of the man, and that their role is is to be exploited. When when the bourgeois came along and did it, they took it, took it up a notch from the feudal period. Um, and basically said all women are common property to be exploited and used. So I don't care if you're married or you 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 one of my outside women. Uh, you're all in common that I have only one interest is to exploit you, whether to exploit you as a prostitute or exploit you at the job. The struggle of the working class um, has has. Uh, particularly coming into 1940, where the notion of a nuclear family, where you know there's the husband and wife and the two kids, um, was supposed to be the notion of family. That has fundamentally changed now because of people having to work um, in, in the lower sector, of the working class, particularly people of color. Men has been in prison, so many of the women have to raise the children alone. Um, extended families has been broken up, where many were come from the farm or, or a rural area, come into the urban area, not know anyone, they're isolated. They are, um, the notion of family has, 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 been, has been transformed and changed among the working class. But on the bourgeoisie, they basically say, you know, all women, all kids are just property. They, their notion hasn't changed. But the working class notion of, of family has changed. And and because it is no longer just simply a nuclear family, but a community of family, there are breaking down walls of just simply saying that it not only have to be the immediate extended family, but the community itself have to work to support and, and raise this child to be uh, healthy and successful and, and go off to college and, and do well. Um, and so there's a common collective support that is that has. Um, always was there, but is more you know, reemerge in a way that uh, many are breaking out of, this, of that cycle. Where also children are going to um, uh, public schools, uh, whereas for many many years many kids went to private schools, and that's coming back. The bourgeoisie is pushing the notion of private and charter school, so they can say basically uh, you're not all common as, as working class people, but you're just private entities that I can buy and sell um, uh, your kids uh, as they move them into, uh, as sort them into a certain position. So public schools, preschools, bringing kids together in preschool and social, socializing with each other, um, where mothers now having to, uh, single moms have to go to work, um, have to look for places to find child care to su- support. So society has taken on that role um, in order to continue to, you know, support their family. So among the working class, the notion of what it is to be a part of the working class has fundamentally changed. But among the bourgeoisie, it ain't changed. 
um, and, and I think Marx described it uh, well. It's, uh, it says, our bourgeoisie, not content with having wives and daughters of their proletariat at their disposal, but not to speak of common prostitutes, take the greatest pleasure in seducing each other wives. Bourgeois re- marriage is in reality a system of wives in common, and thus at most what the commons might possibly be reproached, which is what they desire to introduce in, substitu- in substitution for this hypocritically concealed, openly legalized community of women. Women today want to be, um, you know, particularly the feminist movement has really promoted the community of women of sisterhoods and and, 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 and acknowledging that they're more than just property for men's uh, uh, youth and, and, and I. So it's all of that is changing, and, it, and Marx is acknowledging something um, that was changing in a small way in 1848, but it's now fundamentally changed um, in uh, 2017. Yeah, you know, uh, you mentioned a while a bit back when we first started talking, you talked about the, uh, the changes from a communal society to a to agricultural, and, and there's a, a, one of my favorite books is called uh, Sex at Dawn, How We Mate, Why We Stray, and What It Means for Modern Relationships. Now, in that book, it, it's, all, it's really kind of a, kind of a, it's talking about really kind of evolutionary analysis, but, but he's talking, but he also does, they also do a good job of looking at uh, the, what happened during that agricultural phase um, to societies, right? This this is when in the agricultural phase, this is when you begin to start having the uh, privatization of property, and 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 that also changed for women as well. So that at one point, you know, there's a lot of evidence that people were more communal, more sharing kind of societies, that kind of thing. Women were not um, uh, exploited and, and and seen as property. But in this in this in this agricultural phase. There, there's kind of like this, this kind of like ownerships of land. So people begin to, to not only like you know, not just share stuff, but but to own stuff and then sell it to each other and to be able to make profit on it. So, so these kinds of changes that took place um, happened, you know, over hundreds of years. Sometimes, you know, it's like it takes a long time. So like we're in the process even to this day of of, of seeing that change. We're in the midst of that. And it's either going to be changed for the for the better, or it's going to be changed for the worse. Um, and then, two, I want to say before we move off of this is, I, I think that one of the problems with family right now, and and and, and it is real, is that kids are not getting the, the proper kind of um, um, attention and 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 love and respect and relationship that they need, particularly when both parents have to be working when both of them have to be working all the time you don't have time to really um help children and i mean this even for 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 rich kids as well i mean they they're not you know a lot of them are messed up even though they have money and they can be sent off to private school or they can you know uh a lot of times they're they are sent off to private school because the parents can't keep can't can't uh can't uh, take you know like really give be the give them they the parents Rather than the parents having to deal with them and deal with their anxiety, they send them up to private school and, and, and because they can afford to do it. And, and, and I know about those kind of things. I've heard about it. And so I think one of the problems that we're having is, in terms of our social relationship is that we're losing the concept. I mean, the, the concept of family is getting very difficult 
because of the kind of capital system that we live in, because we having uh, two people always having to work um, in the family, and that there's also, um, you know, people like, you know, some people can't even afford to, to take care of their children. I mean, it's just the most, uh, it's the hardest thing to see a couple or people bring children into existence, and you can, they can't take care of them. And, and the state, you know, the state may do some things, but not, not nearly enough. And the state, I'm not saying that it should fall back on the state, but I'm just saying that the people, if, if people are, if the working class is not making enough money, um, if it's not making enough to, 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 to pay the, the cost of living, then that's going to be a, uh, a, a, a burden. The, the, the kids are going to come a burden on them. And, and, we, and, you know, you say, well, why don't we stop having kids? Well, listen, there's a lot of things that influence people to have kids. I mean, I, even the notion of the Republican Party, the conservatives and backwards as those motherfuckers are, for some reason they keep pushing this anti-abortion thing. I mean, so I don't, I don't you know, I never understood that. I mean, it, it's, I mean they don't want to push policies that are going to help families and going to help children. But yet they want people to keep pumping them out, and and I one well, the reason why they want to do that because they want to have a supply of, of 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 labor always. That's what Marx talked about. They want to have you know, a constant supply of labor. So if if part of those some of those kids get put in the jail or they die, we want to make sure there's there's always enough that they can pull from, and they can fire people and hire new people. They, that's that, that's part of that. But some of it just is kind of you know that Christianity thing and all that stupid shit. But my thing is is that. Fundamentally, in order to, to really take care of ourselves, ourselves and our offspring, we need a society in which we don't um, work so hard, that which we don't have constant uh, rise in, in the uh, living uh, cost of living. We, we need to get beyond that. So, uh, Carl, why don't you quickly give us a – I was on the last part of the book. I think I, think I see um, – uh, Naj on here too. I'm gonna let him in as well. So Naj, you can, yeah, you can I'm, 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 gonna, I'm gonna speak. I'm gonna speak uh, in the last part of the book. Well, one is that um, there's two parts. One is, and I'll really be brief, uh, so we can let Naj. And but he speaks of the proletariat will use his political supremacy to wrest by degree all capital from the bourgeoisie to centralize all instruments of production in the hand of the state. And then he lists these are some of the things that, and I'm and I'm translating. Some of the things that they do once they they uh, seize power in private property, uh, put forward progressive taxation, seize the property of the enemy, which is the bourgeoisie or anyone else who oppose um, the working class state, and the right of inheritance, centralize the bank, centralize the means of communication, transportation, that's trucks, railroad, shipping, ATT, Verizon, even Amazon to uh, Ownership of this factory by the state, equal right to have equal right to work, agriculture and manufacturing uh, will be under collective ownership, and free education for all. These now he, he didn't say this is, was absolutely incomplete, but he was the, the gist of all that was uh, uh, was to have free development of, of each, which is a condition for free development all. So through this process, it, it allowed for everyone to develop. Uh, if they want to be an artist in one day or or uh, a mechanic another or whatever, it allows for that free development. The last part of the uh, but wait a minute, uh, uh, wait a minute. Let me let me. But let me ask this one thing because I know this keeps coming up. 
that that what you talking again what you just uh, enumerated uh, is exactly what we're talking about today because we're talking about the you know progressive tax you know it's the struggle today we're talking about the um, what did you say the um, you know the um, inherent you know getting rid of inheritance because that's the problem mm-hmm. people are inheriting wealth right now but Carl what people talk about still is this notion that if you know when we start centralizing everything these resources and everything. That people are scared that the state will um, control everything. So how do we how do we get past well, the notion of the state controlling everything? Well, initially the state will control every will will control all what we call the commanding heights, the the, the, the largest industry, the largest stuff. Ultimately, all of that will be uh, transferred to uh, to um, to you know a a, a, a you know, a community of people, which is a combination of both um, those who would do, who, who, who would like the technocrats and those who have the broader picture, but it would have everyone participating in the decisions that are, that related to it. So it'll be like more of a social ownership. People, everyone will have rights and control and have a right to, into the decision-making process of what gets produced and, 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 and you know, what's made available at different times. So it's not going to be a, and whatever surplus will be redistributed to everyone. Um, the only instrument, the largest interest in, at, as of this time until the withering way of the state will be the state. So the fear of the state is, 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 is uh, it, it, on one hand is, is real, but on the other hand it's not because, you currently live in a state society to begin with, the post office, the IRS. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that the state is, 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 is part of your life that you don't have a decision-making in, in, uh, decision in how they do that. You elect someone, you send them off, they have these bureaucrats, they go off and do something, you don't know what happens. So what a social uh, society would do is that, all that would be made public, and everyone would have an opportunity to weigh in to decide is uh, what what took place in Brazil in terms of participatory budgeting is is one example. It's more of a participatory democracy, in both in the production um, at the in the factory and all that. So I would say, um, right now, we go and seize a factory is not is not going to change nothing because. What, what happens is what happened in, in Yugoslavia when they uh, decentralized a lot of the factories. The workers were in, in, in the community were only thinking about themselves and not for the vast majority of people. So what what should have happened was that the workers at the site should have influ, you know be a part of the decision making process, but also the vast majority of people in the whole nation of Yugoslavia, should also have a, a, an opportunity to decide how resources are allocated and how uh, wealth is also allocated to, for, the, uh, for the many as well. So it's just not centralized among a few people or among bureaucrats only, um, but uh, among many. Right, and, and, I, and, and again, we said that really real socialism and communism will, will, will require real, real democracy, more more democracy. More democracy. democracy. So, so yeah. we're again we're we're subjugated to a bourgeois state, right? We're subjugated to a bourgeois state, and we're also subjugated to um, 
uh, a market uh, market forces. So so our level of freedom is, is not that great <laughs> if you look at that. Um, Naj, I, I see you on there. I think I, I see both of your numbers. I don't know. Yeah, okay. So I'm going to let Naj in too. And Naj, you can, we, Naj, you want to do you want to hop in on anything before we? Oh, yeah. I just wanted to ask a couple questions for y'all shut down, man. Uh, as usual, mm-hmm. good job, man. Glad y'all holding it down as usual. Uh, I, I guess the two questions I would have would be, uh, is America an outlier when you start looking at things through those dynamics, uh, meaning the racial component of the proletariat who has never shown a solidarity with the rest of the working class? Yeah. Uh, the the right. engine in their hand would it become a weapon instead of uh, a thing of use for all as far as solidarity right. and then the the second part would be uh the idea of de-skilling uh do you think that has been a concept because of uh the threat of uh the the you know the contradictions that Marx and Engels and everybody brought up do you think de-skilling of labor has been a active process uh, because of that, uh, always thinking to make a job to where you can quickly replace somebody, and then the jobs uh, that you can't replace somebody, you pay so well that you can pull them out of class struggle? Uh, kind of a, you know, kind of a payoff system. And, and that's two questions. I want, I want to get to the latter, and I'll call it to the first one. But I think that that – I don't know if, it's, if it was a – Conscious process, but I think because we're moving to a higher, to not a higher, but a different means of production, that is technology uh, and and, uh, and automation, as well as you know um, finance capital. I mean, we, we're that's that's where we where we are. I mean, Mark talked about that, and so in a sense that those things can be very bad. They they can be they can they can terribly be bad for working class people, the masses of people. And we're already seeing that already. And it can be bad because you don't because you don't have a socialist communist society. You don't have that. And so, yeah, I mean, there are some capitalists, even Bank of America. I think Bank of America, one of those, Wells Fargo said, "Hey, you know, we can think the economy can just be can just survive based upon just a small amount of people. You know, so that, so that the vast majority of people are just seen as kind of a nuisance at this point. And and that's really how it plays out. I mean, it really is. If you don't have certain skills, if you don't have a certain amount of money, I mean, really, you're just kind of like, well, um, whatever happens. I mean, you know, the libertarians are like that. I mean, they really push that. Um, it's, just, it's just hard that you just can't go out and just go kill people. So, so basically, you take away people's, you know, access to Medicare. You make it very difficult for people to survive. And um, either you wind up going into prison or you just fucking die. I mean, I, and I really think that's, that's the way it is. I mean, I, I think that they're doing that. Now, that doesn't mean that one of the things that I liked about the uh, Zeitgeist movement and the, and the concept of resource-based economy is that we can begin to start rethinking our relationship to work. Because I think so far the left, for so many years, and I understand why they did it, they talked a lot about, you know, everybody needs to have a right to a job, and everybody needs to have a skill. True, they need to do that, but there, are, there is some come a time when the notion of work that we've had back in Mark's day that's just going to be different. I mean, there, there's, there's so much stuff that's there that can be and should be automated in a sense that because it can be a more efficient way to run a society. As a matter of fact, if, if we do it right, we could actually save on a lot of resources if done that way. So that doesn't mean that we all stop working. That, that just means that we rethink the notion of what work means. So the notion of raising families is work. 
the notion of taking care of one another is work. The notion of, of, of taking care of yourself is work. The notion of art, you know, and, and, and what that means is work. And, quite frankly, we, we might stop having so many babies and kids because we don't really need to. So, you know, I think we have to rethink that and, and not get scared that, oh, I'm not going to have a skill. No, we just have, we have we may have higher forms of skill. We may spend more time participating in um, the uh, uh, um, spend spend more time in, in, in democratic pursuit, pursuits. And then also we got to learn how to we still got to spend a lot of time just learning how to fuck to get along. I mean, we really got a long way to go uh, uh, to that. So that, that's just my response to those questions. In in regards to your first question, yes, um, in terms of race, it it is, I would say to a certain extent, um, exceptional for America, but it's been polluted throughout the the world. Modern notion of racism connected to capitalism is, 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 is really grounded here in America. And it has played such a insidious role of divide and conquer. But divide and conquer uh, in Europe was played off against nationality. So if you were French or uh, German or Prussian or Austrian uh, and you worked in the same, in the same area, you, you were played off. Um, in, 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 in Great Britain, there was the Irish uh, against the, the British, and they, they oftentimes subordinated um, uh, the Irish and, and make sure the Irish never united with the British and and polluted a lot of the uh, uh, folks in England. Let me put it this way: in England versus Scotland, Ireland, Wales, and other places, um, made sure that they were uh, received certain advantages. So working classes received certain advantages, so that um, they didn't have no uh, connection or. Uh, 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 unity with you know the Wales, the Scottish, or the, or the Irish. So the, the bourgeoisie um, has played this divide and conquer. One of the interesting things about the way it's been addressed, and I think the Russians, in terms of uh, Lenin and, and uh, at the time Lenin, Plekhanov, and those guys, because they had all these different nationalities, they had to figure out a way to uh, seek unity among the various nation, nationality workers to work together and struggle through their um, national, um, uh, you know, chauvinism that they were, that they, that, that, they, that the working class was doing to deal with it. Our, here in America, we have to deal with, you know, the issue of racism and how racism plays a role in terms of, uh, uh, you know, uh, privileges and internalized oppression and, 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 and the rest both from an ideological but also a, a material base, that we have to struggle with to unite the working class as one united front. What America successfully has done, is, and, 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 which is very similar to what the, what the English has done, is said, you know, you don't need to unite with those folks because they're all poor. So they, in England, they said all the Irish are all poor. All they do is eat potatoes. So you don't want to deal with because they're all poor. There's no rich Irish person there. So you, you, you as long as you... You got this job and you're working at low pay. You're not like the Irish out there who who's just dying in the street. So you should be glad. Don't ever want to be like them. That's the low class folks. What America has basically translated the Irish to black folks and said you don't have to be like those black folks. You, you know you you're better than them. You you don't need to unite with them. And the, the our left our left have to 
struggle both against class and race at the same time. They have to have to unite the two, understand both of those components, because we are not going to win unless we struggle against both racism and capitalism at the same time. They're interconnected, they're interwoven. You can't separate the two here in America. Nationality is not necessarily an issue. Ethnicity is not necessarily a critical issue. Those two components has has been so useful to capitalism since the origin of American capitalism here in America. So I think, you know, during the 70s, we tried to struggle around this issue in terms of looking at it from, you know, context of racial oppression, you know, national oppression. Um, I I would look at it differently. um, But I think we on the left have to do that. Now, to say that we're better off than anybody else around the world, I don't think so. Um, uh, we're probably America is probably worst off. The, the working class, as you pointed out, has never really had a working class party here in America, a national working class party. Closest has been the Socialist Labor Party um, at the turn of the century, 1900. But we've never had a strong, um, mm-hmm. large national uh, working class, multiracial working class uh, party. That is what we need to build. That's where we need to be focused on. And the problem is uh, we slice and dice the issue mm-hmm. versus seeing the, the interconnection of these issues and understanding that race in America cannot operate without class and class in America cannot operate without, the, without race. You can't separate the two. It's like splitting a human body in half and saying the, the other half will continue living. It's just not going to work. It's not going to work. But it's a good. It's a good mm. question. It's a question that we always need to come back to address. It's a challenge. Uh, this historically has been a challenge, uh, particularly those who are postmodernist. Postmodernist folks argue that the question is simply about identity and, and race and gender, um, um, and it's not a question of class. Class in their mind is a social class. You know, you, you part of that little bougie group. You know, it's, to them, it's a cultural thing. For, for us, it's a material thing in relation to the production. It is real. It is, it is exploited. Um, but postmodernists don't see it, and they oftentimes have cr- critiqued Marxists uh, for not, uh, in their mind, having uh, races front and center. Part of that is their own ignorance of not understanding the history of the, of the Communist Party and various socialists throughout history. Um, the other part is that the the message that get out um, publicly and dominate is, is, is oftentimes singly look at class, that the only class is the white working class, the you know construction guy or the factory guy. Um, we need to change that notion. We need to change the notion of what a proletarian and working class is that is multiracial, that is not simply industrial. Um, uh, and we need to fight back. And the problem in the media, we don't fight back on those notions. We don't fight on those ideological grounds. We concede to that. And oftentimes you see that around the discussion of Trump. Well, you know, I mean, the working class is lost consciousness of itself. I mean, that's just, they've been stripped of it. I mean, they just don't, they don't have it. I mean, that's the reason why, like you said, we don't have, you don't have no representation of labor in in, in the White House at all. I mean, you don't have it in, in Congress at all. I mean, you may have some politicians try to speak to it, but for the most part, they might the unions might show up as a lobby group, but that's about it. I mean, that, that's a very dangerous thing, and and it's, and it's interesting to see 
you know, again, the service workers pushing pushing really hard, you know, on this fight for 15, um, you know, that's, 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 I mean, even though fight for 15 is not going to be a solution per se in the long run, but, but, it, but, it, but it does speak to it seeing itself as a, as a class, as, as a exploited class, you know, and um, uh, the left should really, you know, we'd be there and really kept help develop that because uh, that, that's a significant part of the population, um, and, and, and it runs across um, class and race lines um, uh, in that service sector. So, so we, we know we, we're kind of missing an opportunity, you know, to, to, to do that. I mean, I know SEIU has been kind of working with that, uh, the Fight for 15 as well, which is a good thing, uh, but we need to do it more so and speak to it. So, yeah, so we have about 13 minutes left. Any, uh, any, any yeah, last I, points? Of- yeah, I, I wanted to get into the last chapter, um, which is Chapter mm-hmm. 3, Socialist and Communist Literature. And this is where Marx is trying to, um, th- you know, uh, Marx is trying to distinguish communists from all the other folks, uh, feudal socialism, petty bourgeois socialism, uh, German true socialism. Um, feudal socialism um, was those who say go back to feudalism. You know, that's what we need. I think today we have um, <laughs> Islamic fundamentalists who think and Christian fundamentalists who or into that kind of stuff, um, you know, the good old day, how it was back then. The petty bourgeois socialism, um, uh, you know, the artisans who say, you know, um, uh, we're, we're, we're trying to, you know, only organize in our corporate guild and we'll create socialism, you know, through where we work. Um, the true German uh, socialism was, uh, I know Marx really hated them because the, many of them, he knew um, they were mostly into, you know, the, what we would call cultural critics today. They, you know, like, uh, uh, what's his name, um, Cornell and others who just do cultural critic uh, analysis from uh, from that point of view. And then a conservative bourgeois socialism, um, which is um, kind of like national socialism um, kind of thing. And then um, many distinguish that with um, – Communist social. Today we would have like our post-Marxism. These are the critical theorists, um, and uh, and the post-colonial folks in, are a part of that. So that's one group that's today. We have the neo-Marxism, Savoy, uh, Zizek, Harnett, and, and Nairi. Um, these guys um, are, you know, claim that they found the answer. They really promote communism, but they seem to go into this psychoanalytical thing or some, you know, some kind of revisionist kind of notion of stuff. There's the non-Marxist left. These are the folks who are a collection of folks in and around the world social forum. People simply says, well, we don't need to create a party. We just all need to get together and share stuff. Um, um, and then there's the post-socialist folks. Uh, and the post-socialist folks are um, primarily, um, you know, that's uh, what they call market <laughs> socialism, Folks in China and, and uh, I don't even think they they apply that in Russia anymore. They're they're just plain old gangster socialism. I'm a gangster capitalism um, kind of thing. So there's a whole collective of of these people, folks out there. Um, uh, communist relationship to all of these is fundamentally, you know, they basically um, uh, uh, reject you know Marxist analysis and, and, and organizing. For political uh, change and, and and seizing political power, um, it is one thing to critique the system; it's another thing to actually say, "I'm." This is what 
this is the reason why when you mentioned the name uh, Vladimir Lenin, because the guy was singly focused with one thing, to overthrow the aristocracy, to, to our mm-hmm. aristocracy, yeah, and, and, and get the working class um, in alliance with the peasants in, in power. He thought about it day and night, organizationally, you know, distribution, you know, strategy, ideologically, in the newspaper. I mean, this this is what fundamentally what Marxism is all about and, and building but, and, 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 I think, I, and I think that, 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 that back then it was, see, it was just like the civil rights movement when you had, you know, de facto apartheid or de jure apartheid and stuff, right? I mean, you, you could clearly see the, you know, the oppression. And it's the same thing, you know, in this, in this kind of aristocracy and uh, feudal. Uh, it was. It was oppression. not so much you could clearly see the oppression. What they could clearly see in, in, in all of them was movement. That people was willing to stand up and struggle. And it's during the time of Russia, there there were mm-hmm. very few movements. There, at the time that Lenin was born, there was there were all these conspiratorial cells that tried to kill off. Bizarre and stuff, mm-hmm. and you know they were terrorists, small cell terrorists. But the vast majority of people, there wasn't organized, it wasn't a part of, it. and and people mm-hmm. because of 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 false consciousness, religion, and everything else, people began to try to figure out a way to adjust. The same thing. Jim Crow didn't start in 1942. Jim Crow started in 1890, and it took over 50 mm-hmm. years. Um, and what happened was there was a during that period there was a period of a movement, a lot of failures. From 1900 to 1940, there was a series of failures that took place. Some small success, but a whole lot of folks got killed. A lot of failures of, of trying to do things. But when there was motion in place, by the time the civil rights movement came along in the mid 1950s, I mean, remember this is when they locked up all the communists. As many as possible, you know, if you were to say you were socialist communist back in the 1950s. You know, you weren't going any. You you weren't going to be out there organizing. So, what happened was that the the masses began to get into motion. And same, they took place in in Russia. It took place during the civil rights movement. It took place in Cuba. It took place in South America, South Africa, all throughout the world. Whenever people get into motion, that is when you start to fundamentally see the change. And then the question comes into play: How are we going to actually, you know, remove? Um, you know, bring down Jim Crow, apartheid, or you know, the czar, or, or, or whomever. Well, that's that's the critical. Yeah, I, but, but I, I think the challenge though we have today though is that some some there's such such, such kind of a people these these lines oftentimes are not as clear as people would like them to be. So uh, or they're not as clear to terms of well, who is the enemy and who should I be struggling against? So. You know, we're fighting with that, and I think that makes it much more difficult. I agree with you that you had that difficulty throughout, but to me, I think it's beginning to be harder. And until people start raising their consciousness to, to this kind of new forms of, um, well, how this oppression has evolved, not you, but how it's evolved, um, right. I think that we right. will I agree you know, with we'll you have, yeah. have difficulties of trying, to, of, trying to, of trying to make that change. And this, because we clearly, listen, we, the, you can criticize the left all this once, but people have always been in struggle for freedom. They've always been in struggle to uh, for their own particular interests, and it, it, that might not always been a mass of the people, but there's always been enough people that have that level of consciousness to wage that struggle and influence other people. And that's the reason why, you know, that they they went after communists and they and they and they're so threatened by even somebody 
that, uh, that they think is a socialist or they think is pushing socialist views like Obama. I mean, which he's, he's clearly not. But, but the, the bourgeois class is so, they get become so threatened by that because they feel like that if, 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 if people get rights, if people get better, better conditions or, or, or whatever, that they're just giving it just a little bit, they'll want more. Well, yeah, hell yeah, it's happening. Because we talk about, you know, even with all the problems that Affordable Care Act has, right, people got a, they got a glimpse of what it means to have something like that where you, you pull together and you use tax dollars to try to help, other, to help people in, in, in need or don't have insurance or what have you. Now people are saying, well, wait a minute. What if we really did use all our collective money, right, get rid of the, the, the insurance companies, Go after the medical industry and 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 and, um, and, and, and that and, and do universal health care. See that 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 scares the fuck out of of uh, of yeah, the class. They, they have you know, to really they does. have to sound the alarm not. early. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go ahead. It, it really does. It, 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 I mean, it scares the fuck out of these people. And and what they just in terms of the last five minutes we have. I mean, just look. And I know we barely been able to finish the book, but it's, we'll come back to it. But but just look at what they tried to do to undermine what the Affordable Care Act was trying to bring to it. I mean, they were trying to take away certain things that people need. I mean, just pre, prenatal care, for example, which is so friggin' important. I mean, they were trying to you know take take that away, and and they still are. I mean, they 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 you know forty five says it's not over yet. But this but listen, they they were trying to get rid of the essential health benefits under Obamacare or, or the Affordable Care Act, they were trying to take away outpatient care, emergency services, hospitalization, pregnancy, maternity, and newborn care, mental health care and substance abuse, disorder services, prescription drugs, uh, rehabilitative, rehabilitative uh, services, um, laboratory services, preventive services. Uh, they were trying to kill people. This is actually what it is. And so... When you when you are at that point, that and these people have all this wealth, but yet they're scared. They're scared that if people have these things, that it will mean more freedom for people. And you cannot, you know, you cannot. Capitalism cannot have a people that are free. They cannot have people, uh, you know, their needs being taken care of because then you can't you can't enslave people. You can't tie people down to the market system. Three minutes. Yeah, and and that's why they're so scared of anything called entitlements because once people get them, yeah. people actually like them, and then it's harder to take them away as they're finding out with the ACA, which is the minimum of what should be uh, expected as far as what people should expect. But they'll they'll uphold a system that pays $1.9 and is more expensive than the nations who actually have socialized care uh, right. in order to just keep the ideology the same of, I'll get mine F you. There's no notion of putting pooling our money together as solidarity. So you present that as a tax, a tax, a tax. When in reality, the coverage that people pay for in America, that is way more expensive than anywhere else. Every, you know, every motion within the system is a tax. So the $20 aspirin, uh, the fact that you pay 80 grand for a heart surgery and the second highest is 40 grand in Australia, like th- those outcomes are attacks. But if you don't present it that way, you can fool people. And that's kind of the game that they're playing. And to hit on what y'all just said a minute ago, uh, fringe movements, you attack violently uh, to get rid of them. But once the masses pick up on them, you have to negotiate and be a little more careful 
because mass movements can trample any regime if they get enough steam mm-hmm. going and they get enough, you know, uh, real, real mm-hmm. motion. So, uh, I mean, that's always the fear. And with somebody yeah. like Obama, who is clearly a banker's boy and everything they they actually care about as far as putting up a front of uh, somebody who cares about the people, still there was the threat of what people believed. So they had to make sure they made it known, like, no, this is not going to be uh, what you think it is. So they immediately, uh, you know, labeled him a socialist and all these other things that had nothing to do with who he actually was. Right. And, and it's interesting you say about, about the pushback on the masses. I just got on my phone here that from the Washington Post. It says that uh, the Attorney General Jeff Sessions ordered Justice Department officials to review reform, reform agreements with troubled police forces nationwide, saying it was necessary to ensure these PACs do not work against Trump's administration's goals of promoting officer safety and morale while fighting violent crime. That right there is fascism. That, that right there, these people are trying to move and move against us. And they, that's, that's the reason why they're doing that. But look, we got to come back next week. It's always been good. We always run out of time. But uh, we're gonna come. We're gonna come back next week and talk about some of the contemporary uh, issues. I know we haven't been talking about it, like you know, head on. And hopefully, uh, we get get Nas come back in the last thirty minutes from his slave. <laughs> so appreciate you coming in, Nas. And uh, thanks a lot, Carl. We really appreciate it. Want to uh, continue to say that we are on Twitter at Socialist Forty Five and uh, Socialist Vision. And thank you everybody for. Uh, supporting us there. We also want you to follow us. We've had some people that follow us on Blog Talk, so please uh, you know, set up a, an account or follow us on Blog Talk. Uh, that really helps as well. And uh, follow us on Twitter. And if you have any questions or recommendations, uh, do that. Um, I've had a couple of people that emailed me, and I want to email you back uh, some things that you had, some questions you had. So there we are. So see you next week. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you.